This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello Brewsters, and welcome to another session on the Hot Four podcast. There are many reasons why this podcast exists, and as we press on towards the two-year mark and our hundredth episode, I've been doing some soul-searching as to what the future holds for the show. In the early days, starting a podcast and visiting breweries, bars and suppliers across the country was an absolute dream and a huge eye-opener for how the industry as a whole functions, and I still only really have got a snapshot of it. But ever since COVID washed upon these shores and we were plunged into an Orwellian-style dystopian lockdown, if I'm going to be honest with you, which I am, it's been more of a marathon than a fun run. I don't know how many of you run. I tend to spend a lot of time running and maybe you're even running while listening to this. Uh, but for those of my beer buddies out there who take to the streets and pound the hills to clear their minds and clock up the miles and fight off that beer belly, you'll know what it's like when you're miles from home on a long run and the finish line is nowhere in sight, but your legs are starting to buckle underneath you. I believe they call it the wall. The wall happens in business too, and to come full circle, that is the very reason I started Hot Forward in the first place. Having worked in a brewery that had gone through its first life cycle, being revered by friends and family for starting a brewery and winning awards and selling beer and riding the cool curve, there's no denying that they'd hit a bit of a wall. This tends to happen in most businesses at some point, from my observations at least, but some businesses tend to overcome the challenges while others struggle to climb over the wall at all, leaving the owners feeling depressed and the staff to plod on for another day of trading. I saw this quite a bit in the brewing industry in conversations with individuals I had over the years. And I found the answer to why this happens in the pages of a book by a well-respected American author on business called Michael Gerber, who wrote the classic book, The E-Myth. If you've not read this book, you need to get hold of it today. It's utterly fantastic. Gerber argues that not everyone that runs a business is an entrepreneur, but they are a quote-unquote technician overcome by an entrepreneurial seizure. That is someone who can do the technical work such as making or dispensing beer in this instance and thinks to themselves, I don't want to work for the man anymore. I want to become my own boss. But quickly they find out that they're not cut out for the entrepreneurial life of being a vision bearer, a marketeer and a brand builder, an equipper and someone who would actually build businesses successfully. I think this is quite common in many small to medium enterprises and something I was keen to learn more about for the benefit of the brewery I was at and for my own business. I spent a long time reading classic business books and listening to the likes of the disruptive entrepreneur Rob Moore on how to grow and scale your business. I've worked with friends who have inspired me to grow as a business owner. I've been coached by individuals who have run and worked with large successful companies in their field. So coming back to that question, why did I stop Hot Forward? It was to equip brewery and beer business owners with the overarching skills to grow and develop their businesses. 
And I personally wanted to learn from a cross-section of brewers and professionals in the industry to put their knowledge into my own businesses. I genuinely believe that behind every great brewery, every great bar, every great bottle shop, every great supplier, there is a great business. And everyone has their own motivations as to whether or not they want to grow in a numerical traditional business sense. But I'm always inspired by the people who drive a business forward. Because even though they may not spend their time troubleshooting fermentation issues, I can guarantee they'll lie awake at night trying to figure out how to resolve a cash flow issue or where the next capital investment is going to come from to pay for that canning line or those new vessels. The whole thing, brewing, branding, marketing, sales, business, HR, everything, it all plays like one big orchestra to ultimately create a symphony in a consumer's glass coming to a crescendo of flavours, aromas and good times. Unfortunately though, many business owners were dealt a bad hand and have had a rough ride throughout 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic. While it's usually enough in and of itself to deal with the myriad of issues that arise on a daily basis while running a business, the national lockdowns and resulting economic impacts have caused wave after wave of anxiety for many in this position. Somehow, we've all muddled through and each of us has our own story to tell. And the story this week comes from Kelly Sidgwick, director and co-founder of Bristol-based brewery Good Chemistry Brewing. Good Chemistry Brewing have had to negotiate many difficult decisions due to COVID-19, one of which was the internal battle surrounding whether it was ethical to press on with getting mobile canners in or not in order to stem the spread of the virus versus bringing income into the business. A difficult decision to say the least. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss all things business, everything from hiring staff, keeping them motivated, staying on top of the books, how to grow your business, where the money comes from, and so much more, all to the backdrop of a global pandemic. Each and every week, we're partnering with Brew School to bring you the latest brewing jobs and careers in the UK brewing and beverage industry. And this week's highlighted job is for an apprentice brewer with Little Ox Brew Co. in Whitney near Oxford. Little Ox are looking for an apprentice brewer to join their small but passionate and dedicated team. Your apprenticeship will run in conjunction with HIT Training. We had uh, Mark Tetlow on the podcast a few weeks ago, so you can listen a bit more about apprenticeships from that. Additional training will also be undertaken by the University of Nottingham Centre for Brewing Science. So if you have a passion for beer, you're driven, creative, work well in a team environment and have a desire to learn. As an apprentice brewer, you'll be involved in all parts of the beer making process as well as all the warehouse operations. You'll be enrolled on to an 18 to 24 month apprenticeship in coordination with two leading educational institutes to ensure you get the best support and training to become a fully skilled craft beer brewer. So if you would like to apply for this apprenticeship, head over to brewing-jobs.com, find the job post and click the button apply to this job today. Brewing Jobs is the first dedicated jobs board for brewing jobs and careers. So get ready for a career in brewing in partnership with Brew School only at brewing-jobs.com. Finally, be sure to follow us on all the socials at Hot Ford Beers. 
Visit our website for more info on how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business at hotforward.beer. Head over to Facebook and join our growing community of brewers and beer professionals alike by searching Hot Forward in the Facebook groups. And make sure you subscribe to the show if you haven't already to automatically download the latest episodes each and every week. So let's crack open this week's episode with Kelly Sidgwick, director and co-founder of Good Chemistry Brewing, talking all about running a beer business. Today on the show, I'm joined by Kelly Sidgwick from Bristol's Good Chemistry Brewing. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Yeah, good, thank you. Another busy day, as usual. So for, for our listeners who might be unfamiliar with Good Chemistry, um, can you give us a lowdown on the brewery, sort of how big you are, types of beers you do, um, and how you and Bob got into the brewing industry in the first place? Um, so we're a 10-barrel brewery um, based in East Bristol, so behind Temple Meads, if anybody knows Bristol's main train station. Um, we are... Uh, at the heart of the East Bristol Brewery Trail, which is an event that we run with um, four of our uh, our neighbours in Bristol. So we're between um, Left Handed Giant and more, about a five minute walk from um, both of those. And oh. then up the, the road a little bit, we've got um, Dawkins and Arbour as well. So we run an event with those guys. Um, we started in 2015. In fact, tomorrow, from the day that we're recording this, is five years since we got the keys oh, for our brewery. Happy so birthday. So it's really exciting. Thank you. Yeah, it's not quite how we planned on celebrating, but, you know, well, we've just got to go with it, I guess. Um, we brew to cask, keg, and also, hopefully, shortly, to can. We're awaiting our uh, canning line. Um, we brew a range of styles, um, you know, which we've always done because we like to drink different beers. So it's, you know, it's always been important to kind of have things like the cast bitter and um, ESB, mm. and we've got brown ale at the moment, as well as the kind of, um, you know, hoppier, more modern styles. So our, our most popular beer is Kokomo Weekday. Um, which is a 4.3% tropical session strength IPA. Hold and that thought. So, Kokomo, co- co- as in like Aruba. Come, I'm pretty mama. I love the, I absolutely love the Beach Boys. They're like my favourite okay. band. So, um, yeah, Kokomo. What was it called? Kokomo Weed Day? So Kokomo Weekday, the first the first one we brewed was Kokomo Weekend, which was the first IPA we brewed about um, three years ago, I think. And that was a 7%, um, yeah, hoppy, tropical, pineapple, passion fruit. Uh, and we brewed it in, in the depths of winter. And um, it was kind of, the, it was just um, me and my partner Bob at the time running the brewery. Um, and this was the closest we could get to kind of lying on a tropical beach drinking cocktails. So we brewed Kokomo Weekend, and out of that came Kokomo Weekday, uh, the session strength The session, session. Yeah. of course it's the and session. And that's kind of our, <laughs> that's our most popular beer um, by far. So, yeah, so that's um, that's kind of the, the different beers that we brew. And then we also have um, a little pub as well. So we opened um, The Good Measure in North Bristol in December, uh, December 2018, um, this year, it was voted runner-up pub of the year by our local camera uh, group, which is really exciting. Um, but obviously, 
um, has been closed for, for the most of this year. Mm. Um, and, and we're kind of starting to, to get that reopened now. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of us now. And we're now, we've, we've got a small team um, around Bob and me now as well. Great. So how did you get into beer in the first place? Um, I got into it through Bob, really. So he was, um, he uh, graduated from his um, science degree and couldn't find a job that he uh, wanted to do. So he was temping and homebrewing and thinking, I want to do something that creates something tangible that people will like and, and can be involved in. So he then um, got a job at a brewery on the outskirts of Bristol and brewed for them for a bit and then um, Wiper and True asked him to come and work for them while they were getting their first um, kit in, moving from being cuckoo brewers. And he worked for them up until we set up. Um, I've got a business degree and, and kind of a business background and was running a small business making and selling elderflower drinks, mostly through festivals. And um, it was not um, particularly profitable and it was very seasonal and I wanted to move away from that. Mm. And, and so we just kind of came together to do that really. Um, and yeah, and here we are kind of five years later. And, and it was a very steep learning curve for me. You know, I was not really a beer drinker before we started. Um, and certainly not a brewer. Uh, and I've learned a lot about, you know, about both of them. And I would not ever, um, you know, profess to be a brewer now. I help with the brewing and I'm involved in it. But um, my side of things is really kind of the, the business side of it. Yeah. I mean, you're in Bristol, so it's it's a little bit of a beer mecca, isn't it, in the UK? Uh, you've got some big Should hitters um, around you. Um, Arbor, as you mentioned earlier, and more. Um, I mean, what's it be, what's it been like being a relatively newcomer um, to the industry, being surrounded by such great breweries? I mean, don't get me wrong, because I I um, I've heard really good things about good chemistry um, through. I think it was huh. um, Jolly Good Beer actually, which is which put you on my radar. So um, you obviously you're in good company, and they're in good company with you guys. But uh, like, how, how have you felt kind of coming into it, particularly with some of those absolutely fantastic breweries around you? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I think. I think we're we're very lucky to to have you know colleagues like that so close by and so accessible. Um, yeah, I mean we, we run the East Bristol Brewery Trail with those other four breweries that I mentioned. Um, yeah, more are literally three minutes walk from us. Left Handed Giant a little bit further away. They're putting in their new brewery now. Um, and and yeah and bob used to brew uh, at wiper so i think to have those people kind of to call on and then you know you've got even even bigger kind of an, an older than sort of arbor and more you've got bristol beer factory as well oh. and you know out of them has come johnny mills and and that kind of thing so so there's a lot of great people around who are you know always willing and, and able to kind of help and and support and and that's been amazing i mean i think there are, and then there are new breweries who've come up even behind us. Um, and yeah, and then a new kind of, I think we sort of fall in the middle between, you know, the, the elder statesmen, if you like, of Moore and, and Arbor and, um, and Beer Factory and stuff. And then, you know, we, and then you've got kind of the new up and coming ones. And so to kind of, yeah, to be sort of in the middle there, we feel, um, yeah, really lucky, I think, to have, to have that sort of support network around us 
um, yeah, Bristol's great. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we love it. Fantastic. So with Bob being the brewer and you predominantly wearing the business hat then, um, can you talk to us a bit about the dynamic of, of how that works for you both, particularly with you being a couple as well? Um, I mean, what, what what's that like? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, here we are five years later and we're still, we still have a business <laughs> yeah. and we still have a relationship. So that's always positive, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. Obviously, Bob is, you know, is massively involved in the business as well. And, and certainly in the, you know, in the strategic stuff. And then he runs the, the brewing business bit of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it works really well. Um, I think there's, there's, um, there's the thing where, you know, you, you are a brewer and you're interested in brewing. And so you want to set up your own brewery and then you become not a brewer. You become someone who's running a business yeah. and you're not doing the thing that interests you anymore. Um, so my interest is in the business and Bob's is in brewing, but we, you know, we do cross over quite a lot. Um, there are lots of, you know, lots of our friends who sort of say, God, I couldn't work with my partner. But um yeah, it seems to be going all right. You know, we talk an awful lot and, um, yeah, and and mostly about work, obviously. Um, but, yeah, it's good. I think also another thing just to kind of go back to Bristol as well, we're, um, we, we have many people who have gone before us who are doing this. So John and Meg at Arbor, mm. for instance, and, you know, and I, and I have talked with Meg about, you know, how, how did you do it? How are you still here? Sort of what is it, I, you know? sort of 13 years later, I think. Um, and so to have them and then Michael and Francesca and at Wipe and True as well. Um, and, and so to have that kind of, um, those sort of inspiring um, couples to, to look up to, um, it certainly helps me to feel like we're, we're, we're doing okay and we're doing the right thing. Mm. So, yeah. I always think it's really good when you see that um, dynamic of, of a couple and then obviously, you know, when they become families, I guess that's where family brewers come from um we'll, we'll not get into uh sbr right now we'll say save that for later um <laughs> but you know it's there's a there's a couple in sheffield's uh called dan and martha that run the brewery st miles of the desert yeah um and it's it's great watching their dynamic um together um you know and it's yeah it's i don't know i, I just think it in some ways it it's almost like do you know that whole that old thing about um in medieval times the alewives and all the rest of it you know it's like it's kind of like a essentially it is a cottage industry thing you know and, and and families and stuff making beer and making produce and stuff so it's i think it's great when you get mm. that dynamic and it works really well so um yeah. today on i want to talk about uh, running a brewery and looking more at the business side of things but before we do um and this obviously is just tying to the business stuff can you, can you tell us a bit about how covid 19's impacted your business yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, whose whose business has it not affected over these last few months? Um, I mean, we we shut down our brewery. Um, we were we were talking about this today, and I think one of the things that's that's kind of um, happened during this time is that time has become so. Um, uh hard to kind of measure and and, and understand and remember mm. but um and i've kind of been keeping it sort of a diary and just sort of noting what we've done every day just to kind of try and keep track of that but we think <laughs> that we shut down um we shut down the brewery the week before lockdown so we were running um 
a can shop in the brewery and um, we very quickly set up an online shop as well to to shift our cans when the pubs kind of slowed down with their ordering so sort of mid-March um, but towards the end of March um, we, we were sort of running a bit low on stock but we also felt that it was best to have our staff at home we, you know we didn't know what the level of risk was at the time um, we didn't really know what was going to happen um, so we just we just shut down. So the pub shut, obviously, um, and then we shut the brewery as well. Um, it just yeah it didn't feel like something that we could that we could carry on with. Um, so we had uh, we had a um, slot with the mobile canners booked for the end of March, um, but we chose not to use that as we didn't feel we could um, control the risk. So that meant that we had no we had no can stock to sell. You mm-hmm. know, so the thing that's kind of kept breweries going through these last few months is is small pack sales and we had no small pack um so we shifted to um selling bag and box and mini kegs um just in the bristol area with pickup from the brewery and our pub and then um our home deliveries as well and and that's kind of what what kept us going so we we kept our staff at home on furlough which obviously i think without the furlough scheme there'd be an awful lot more people um, had been made redundant and, and unemployed by now. So thank goodness for that. Um, but we just, we didn't, we didn't want to bring our staff in and we didn't have anything for them to do really. So yeah, so we shut down. So quite a big, quite a big effect, I guess. Yeah. See, I remember chatting to you on email and you saying that um, you cancelled the canners because of the, you know, the, cross-infection risk and all the rest of it and I was, I was quite amazed actually because as you say so pretty much every brewery I know that's in, you know either in or went into small pack was like that's been their lifeline you know and, and so mm-hmm. taking the view that there's a greater potential risk in bringing the canners in um, than you know look, looking out solely for your own interests I, I, I think that's quite amazing actually um you know what, what what was it like yeah. making that decision <laughs> oh loads of fun um it was very hard it was very hard um because the 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 commercial decision would have been like you know lots of people were doing would have been to get them in and to can these two beers that we had ready to go one of which was kokomo weekday which we've already spoken about our best-selling you know most popular beer one of them was a brand new ipa and you know if you want to to sell beer then brew new beers make new beers um and we but we just we just couldn't justify it really it was an incredibly difficult decision to make Mm. um but it didn't. It just didn't sit right with us, you know. Either, either we would have had to ask ask our staff to come back in and to um, work alongside the canners, and obviously, you know, they they spend their days travelling around to different breweries. Um, or Bob and I would have had to do it. And um, I'm asthmatic, so it was you know not a choice that I really wanted to 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 make. Um, yeah, it was very hard to to see that beer in tank. And no, and to see, you know, to see everybody else, all of our um, colleagues across Bristol who have their own canning lines, um, putting fresh beer out, it was incredibly frustrating. But there's, you know, there's more important things, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. So where are you up to with your canning line now? Um, we are 
hoping that by the time I'm not sure what the what your kind of lead time is with us recording this and it going out but I'm hoping that by the time it goes out your listeners will be able to get hold of our beers in shops but I don't really know we are um we're waiting on the canning line to um to arrive um there's been some um issues with with it um it, not with ours kind of specifically but with the the machine it's a um fairly new uh manufacturer making a new product um and we're one of the very first to to um take up that machine so um they're just kind of ironing out some problems mm. Um, which hope means that we'll get it soon. Yeah. So, I mean, talk to us about that ch- process of choosing a cannon line, particularly with it being like a new model um, from a manufacturer. Um, I mean, like, talk about researching it, finding the right one, funding it, because obviously they're not cheap. Like, you know, and you know what once it's there it's kind of there it's not you know you obviously could sell it on but you know already you'd, mm. you'd lose a massive cost um you know like and it's you've got to make it financially viable for your business um because those kind of capital investments aren't cheap so i mean just talk talk us through that process for anyone that's listened to this thinking we really want to get a canning line which i would imagine most breweries who haven't got one are thinking mm. that well, I mean, I think to start with, um, we we were we were packaging in bottles. So when we started, we we bottled our beer. Um, we had quite a distinctive bottle. It was um, six sixty mil and a, an interesting shape, but it got discontinued by the manufacturers. Oh, no. So we couldn't get hold of any. So we actually paused our our small pack um, packaging for about nine or ten months, um, and and in that time, kind of made the decision to you know to put put the kind of research in and made the decision to move away from bottles and towards can bottles aren't really selling anymore cans are the new kind of standard format so that was that decision um we had hoped to buy um a canning line at some point but as you say very expensive um not something that's so easily accessible um but we made the decision uh, during lockdown to bring forward the purchase of our canning line. It seems clear that pubs aren't going to go back to normal anytime soon, which obviously is, um, you know, gutting from a business perspective, but also, you know, if you love pubs, which we do. Um, so you need a way of getting of getting beer into, into people's houses, into people's homes. Um, and so canning line... Um, we took advantage of a, uh, one of the government-backed um, bounce-back loans. So, you know, there was money fairly uh, easily available, and that was the way that we were able to mm. to kind of finance. And super cheap um, as well. In terms of using... Yes, well, exactly, exactly. We're not going to get any cheaper money, probably. Um, so it seemed to kind of to, to make sense to us. Um, in terms of choosing the company, um, Bob had met them at um, Beerex l- last year, or certainly this year. Um, so he was there in March, I think, is it? Yep. Early March, um, and um, and met them there. They're a UK company, which means that there is UK support. Um, you know, you don't have to try and call America or get somebody in from Italy or something like that. 
Um, we wanted to support another, you know, another small business. It's great to be able to do that. Um, it was a good price. And the research that um, Bob, the brewer, did said that it was a good machine and one that he, you know, was was yeah in balancing up the various options that were available. Mm. Um, he was confident this one looked pretty good. Um, so yeah, so now we're just waiting for it to arrive. <laughs> mm. Do you think breweries that are probably on the smaller end, in particular, and it probably will be the smaller guys that don't have access to funds? or even space to have a canning line. I mean, do, do you think they're going to suffer more? Um, because of what you were saying about uh, bottles, I thought was really interesting. And I was having a conversation with Johnny from Pipeline Brewing Co. down in Cornwall yesterday about this, saying that they, they just don't sell well at all now. And I've experienced this myself um, when I've sold beer fairly recently with my small brewery, um, you know, which is why I've invested in some small canning equipment, again, through a bounce back loan, but we're talking really small, like Cansema, one barrel Mm -hmm. U-tank sort of stuff. I mean, do you you think that's an issue for smaller breweries? And how do you see that sort of playing out? Yes, I think it is an issue, but at the same time, I I think that, maybe smaller breweries should be thinking about local markets and building relationships in those kind of ways, in which case it's going to have less of an impact mm. because you are able to, you know, directly communicate and, and market to um, a local audience who will kind of have an understanding of that. I, I would, you know, I would think, I would hope. Um, so, yeah, I think... If you are if you are big enough to be um, wanting to sell, you know, um, well, in the case of Cornwall, like upcountry or whatever, then it, it might be a problem. But mm. if you're if if you are small enough to be, yeah, marketing to your to your local um, customers, then I would hope that it wouldn't have a problem because it is a you know it is a, a barrier, um, and we couldn't have. Uh, we wouldn't have had small pack if we hadn't been able to sell bottles um, because we wouldn't have been able to can um, when we first started in sort of 20, you know, 2016, we were doing our first bottling. Um, so, yeah, I think it is a, it is a shame. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 So changing tack a little bit then um, to look at some of the other areas of business. So there's, there's been a lot of talk on social media within the industry of late about wages and working conditions for brewers, many of whom do long hours for little money. And I noticed when I was looking at your website that you guys pay a living wage to your staff. Can you you talk about that and why you decided to pay a living wage and and what impact does that have on morale and staff turnover? Mm, Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, the the living wage is really only like a starting salary. Mm. Um, And we've always moved our uh, staff who've started on on that um you know that amount of money we've always moved them at the earliest opportunity um onto you know more money um i think our feeling is it's more of a marker um to show our intentions um to value our staff um rather than sort of saying you'll get paid the living wage um but yeah it's about kind of valuing what the what the living wage stands for i guess 
um, you know, Bristol's an expensive place to live and we recognise that the living wage is kind of the minimum that you should be paid to be able to live. But it's a starting point. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's not many of our staff that are paid that um, because we try to move them on from that as, as much as possible or, you know, as early as possible. Um, in terms of kind of morale and staff um, retention, I think we've got quite good staff retention. But the living wage is, you know, is just a part of how you run your business as a whole. Mm. It signals your intention to be a good business to work for. And that's, you know, that's important to us. Um, and if you do that, hopefully people will, will stick around. You know, it shows that you that you respect your staff. Um, and, and yeah, as I say, that's that's important to us. But it goes alongside everything else that, you know, there's a part of your um, you know, your core values as a, as a business, I guess. Yeah. So as an SME then, um, or small to medium enterprise, it, it can be quite challenging um, working with a small team um, for things, you know, there can sometimes be like a bit of a blurred line rather than if you've ever worked in a, like a corporate role before where it's very much like, you know, you've got work and then you've got home and the two don't really overlap. Whereas in a, an SME, it's, you know, people's roles often, they, they have to do lots of various different roles. You've got to manage expectations. Sometimes there's lacks of lack of systems or there's no HR and so on. So for anyone in that position listening to this, um, who maybe owns a, a small business and, you know, they've got quite a dynamic team uh, with lots of different personalities, like how do you navigate some of those challenges in regards to, um, you know, balancing having systems and procedures and a, a way of doing things versus the sort of family feel that these small businesses can often have? Well, it's it's very difficult to navigate, really. Um, I think as you grow in terms of production and sales and having more people, we started with just the two of us. We now have a team of five and we've got more up at the pub as well. So as you grow, you need more and better systems in place. Um, and I think if you have a good team that helps with implementing new systems, you know, if they're engaged in the business, um, then, then you know, hopefully they'll understand, you know, the reason for bringing new things in or whatever. But it is important to have systems and have a way of doing things. You need to be professional, obviously, even if you're a family or a small business. Um, and that's obviously ultimately going to affect, you know, positively benefit the, the bottom line as well. Um, and I think, yeah, if your if your team are engaged, then they will hopefully see the the implementation of, of new systems and procedures and stuff as a positive thing. You know, we are doing this to improve the way that the business runs, but not to make it more corporate or commercial or whatever. Mm. And I think being a, a small family business doesn't mean you don't have those systems or procedures in place. We still do things properly. We still want to do things properly. That's important to us. Um, but it can take a while to to develop those as you grow. I think there's certainly things that, you know, there are things that we've implemented over the last five years that were not in place um, when we first started because there was just two of us and, you, you know, you, you don't, maybe don't have the time to, to think about implementing things like that or sometimes the cost as well you know if you're talking about software systems or whatever um, but yeah bringing those things in is important but at the same time 
we want people to recognize um, and know that we're a small business. It's important for us to talk about our people. We're a small team. We want people to know who we are as, as personalities and to engage in a small business way. And I think like things like that is reflected in like some of the events that we run at our brewery tap. Um, so we, you know, in, in our social media, we kind of talk about um, Dan, who is our um, taproom manager and does a lot of other things as well, as is going to happen in a small business. But we talk about Dan, who works behind the bar. And in the same way, we talk about the guys up at the pub as well. And we show photos of them and we use their names so that when you come into the into the taproom or the um, or the pub, you know who they are and you feel like you're allowed to be there and you're welcome because, you know, you, you know this person's name. Um, and yet, yeah, likewise, having our personalities um come across in in those sorts of things is reflected in events that we run so we've we've done um cycling trips so we cycle there's a there's a bristol to bath cycle path so we cycled to um electric bear in bath and had a few drinks and and then all cycled back and that engaged people who are not just interested in the beer side of things but in cycling as well mm. we show eurovision at the brewery tap because bob loves eurovision <laughs> and so that's something that you engage people who are not just interested in beer but also want to come and you know and have a party at the brewery to watch eurovision so i think things so there is you know there is a balance between um having these systems and procedures in place but still being able to communicate that you are a small business um that's yeah that's a really important balance for us certainly yeah so what qualities do you look for in an employee when you're taking on a new member of staff because and particularly when you took on your first new member of staff like so that's obviously quite a nerve-wracking moment taking your first employee (laughs) on so like what 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 were you looking for um well, interestingly, when we took on our first member of staff, we thought we were looking for somebody for the, the, the job role rather than the qualities. We thought we were looking for somebody to um, work in the brew house alongside Bob, but also to free up more of mine and Bob's time to go out and sell the beer more. Um, and then we actually ended up taking on um, somebody who obviously our first employee so took on a lot of, of, of different kind of areas of responsibility but was predominantly and then became only um, our salesperson um, so it turned out that you know Bob and I that was not our, our strengths or our areas of expertise and so that was the person that we needed to get in and it meant that we didn't go out and and you know and meet our customers or speak to our customers anymore but we had somebody who was a lot better at it than us. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, when you're taking somebody on in a business the size of ours, um, the some of the most important things are flexibility and adaptability. I think you, you have to have an understanding that in a small business, the job that you are seeing on a website that you're applying for is definitely not going to be the whole job that you <laughs> end up doing. Um, and that, you know, you, you probably will take on... Um, a lot of different things um across you know a week or or whatever um but also um we want somebody who wants to work for us and can demonstrate kind of a clear interest in and knowledge of good chemistry um it's not enough to just be into beer 
um, we want to know what you know about us. And, you know, you you have looked at our website, you know, there's kind of a fair bit of information there. We talk about, we don't call them these on the website, but we talk about our core values and what's important to us. And we want you to have an understanding of that. Um, and I think it's also about someone who'll fit into a team dynamic. We're a very small team and you have to have people who can work together um, rather than necessarily just being the best at that particular job that they're applying for. Mm. So Good Chemistry turned five in August. Um, so what have been the biggest highlights you've had so far as a business and what have been some of the toughest things you've experienced so far over those last five years? Um, I think in terms of highlights, um, having our first sale to small bar, um, Bristol's, you know, best kind of only really craft, proper craft beer bar. Um, yeah, having our first beer on there and going and, and, you know, seeing the beers up on the board and, and drinking them. It's, um, yeah, it's something that we kind of make a point of remembering every year. Um, there's nothing better, is there, than your first beer on sale in the pub? You know, I was just thinking as you said that, the first time that um, I had an Emmanuel's, um, which is my brand, which I cuckoo brewed out of Sheffield Brewery that I worked for, um, in a pub on cask. It was a 5.4% yes. red rye IPA. And it was just, right. it was just this amazing moment. I was like, wow, that's my pump clip on a bar. I'm ordering my beer from a bar, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, it's a great feeling, isn't it? That first time Incredible. you did it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, somewhat disappointingly, small bar don't have pump clips, but you know, our name was still up on the board. <laughs> the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. An amazing, you know, an amazing thing to do because, um, you didn't just start the business yesterday, did you? You know, mm. you brewed this beer a while ago and all of the work that's gone in before that. So, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, we got the keys for our, our brewery five years ago tomorrow, so the middle of August. We didn't do our first brew until the end of November because of all the, you know, all of the work that we had to do um, to, to kind of put the brewery in and the floor and the electrics and, you know, and prepare the space and all of that kind of thing. So, there's a bloody lot of work that's gone in by the time you then have the beer ready and, and able to sell. So yeah, and and for it to be in small bar, you know, was was really a great thing for us. Yeah. I think as well, you know, all of the events that we run um, through our brewery tap, um, the first East Bristol Brewery Trail, which, um, you know, we'd been um, selling beer for, so this was um, May bank holiday uh, 2016. So we'd been selling there for sort of five months by this point. And we'd approached, you know, Moore and Arbor and said, um, do you want to do, we think this would be a really cool event. Do you want to do it with us? And thankfully they said yes and, and Left Handed Giant were on board as well. And then Dawkins is the fifth brewery. And so setting that up and then people turning up was incredible mm. just amazing that people come to your brewery and the continued success of that you know we've been absolutely gutted not to be able to run it this year so it should be we run it on the may bank holiday and the august bank holiday so next weekend should be our 10th brewery trail so we're really sad about that but that's you know that's a um, a continued highlight for us mm. i think just kind of meeting new people and making new friends and the pe you know the people that we have met in doing this everybody talks about the beer community and it's true you know we've we 
we love it really yeah. <laughs> even when things are very difficult which they are at the moment we'll talk about tough decisions next mm. um, yeah it's still great and i think we've done you know we've done a lot of collaborations outside of beer as well and so those are really interesting um we've not done so many kind of um brewery collaborations we were hoping to do some this year but there we go see i, I love it when um other, other industries come together because i think the the problem you can get in the beer industry or any industry is that it can become a bit of an echo chamber um with everyone saying the same sort of things and yeah. so on and i think when you look to other businesses and other industries to see how they do things um you know you can harvest some really great ideas so i will take the covid pandemic as an example i've always thought that brewers should be selling beer online more for online shops just because of some of the background i've got it, it just never made sense to me when i entered the beer industry that people didn't really sell directly to consumers and i know there's obviously licensing laws and all the rest of it you, you, you've got to work through but i was just like i remember my business mentor saying to me it's like you know you want to retain as much margin as you, you possibly can yeah. you know and so right up until mid-march you know everyone just kind of was really concentrating on getting our beers through yes. you know pubs through limited yeah. beer lines and so on and then we hit this pandemic and all of a sudden it's like quick set up an online shop and then mm. I, I would talk to breweries where they would say i'd say oh you know how much you brew in the sale yeah we're brewing less but we, mm. you know, we're selling it all direct, so we seem to be making more money than we ever have. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I find it astounding, you know, but it's, and that's the great thing about looking to the music industry or to like, you know, yeah. um, the shoe industry, your clothes or whatever, you know, you can pick up some yeah. really good ideas if you just, um, I, I hate, I hate myself for saying this, it sounds like management crap, but like thinking out of the box. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, so we've got one more highlight as well that um, we was really important to us was opening our pub, um, the Good Measure, and then of course um, being awarded runner-up pub of the year this year by um, the local camera. Obviously, that was yeah. I mean that's kind of separate to the to the beer and the brewing and stuff, but part of the whole of of Good Chemistry and. Mm really just an amazing thing to, to you know like having your your beer on at somebody else's pub and you go and you drink your own beer now we have our own pub as well yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah it's just lush it's a yeah we're a huge achievement mm. i love the name i've got to say good the good measure is a really great name oh thank you so um so obviously you've talked about you know the highlights and stuff what what, what have been some of the hardest things you've had to deal with in business Maybe COVID aside, because I think it's a given that it's been sure. pretty crap for everyone. Yes. Um, this was quite a difficult question to kind of, yeah, to think of, actually. I mean, all decisions are difficult, I think, when you're trying to kind of be authentic um, and and make the right business decisions based on your beliefs. Um, the easy decision isn't always the right decision and you know you have to be brave enough to make decisions based on your kind of your authentic self i suppose and that versus what everyone else is doing and against maybe the commercial decision is um yeah it's a conflict mm. um i mean cancelling the mobile canners is one of the toughest decisions that i think we've had to make so you know we talked about this earlier about how we had a canning slot booked at the end of march just as lockdown had been implemented and 
and we we had to cancel them you know because it was as far as we were concerned the right decision to make and i think similar you know similarly um ditching beer um i'm sure there's a number of your listeners who will relate to that we've all been there yes exactly and you know whether that's from tank or even worse when it's already been packaged that's a horrible decision to make and again that goes against you know trying to be authentic and present the best products that you can against the commercial decision um and and you know maybe it comes out as being the right commercial decision in the end if the beer is no good but it's very difficult um and i think and and the other thing um that that is kind of tough decisions to make are those based on other people's social media or your perceptions of how other people are running their businesses or doing in their businesses. So, you know, you you, you look at, at breweries who are at all of these different beer festivals and they're getting their names out and they're building their profile, but they're spending a lot of money. And is it the right is it the right thing to do? You know, you think, oh, I wish we were there, but is it the right decision for, for you? You know, it's it's a strategy to go out and be at the beer festivals and, and build your brand that way, but it's not our strategy. And you have to remind yourself that, that that's not the right decision for you. And I think, you know, that goes for sort of brewing certain beers as well. If everybody's brewing a particular beer, should you be brewing that beer? Well, not if it's not the right decision for you and your business. And I think um, one of our our core values um, as a business is thoughtfulness. So (laughs) Bob and I talk an awful lot. We talk all the time about our business and, and we talk around all the decisions that we make because we want our decisions to to have thoughtfulness to them so we're making the decisions for the right reasons for us not because anybody else is doing it or not because we think it looks cool or whatever but yeah but making those decisions so i think it just comes down to making sure that you kind of know who you are and that you are authentic Mm. i think you need to have that integrity as a business and, and as a person when making those decisions because it's as you say with social media it's so easy to get lured down a path that isn't your own um because you know the the there's a saying isn't there like the the grass is green on the other side but as a friend once pointed out to me no the grass is greenest where you water it the most um and i really really believe that you know if you i've got another i've got all these little phrases um (laughs) that i i I get out the toolbox when i need but um and i picked this up from a band actually it was a lyric they had um it was um got to stick to your guns if you want to be a cowboy <laughs> and <laughs> i found with emmanuel's this is sort of start of 2018 that i kind of drifted from what i was wanting to be about because i'd you know i, I basically got um lured by the one ring so to speak you know it's my precious um, yeah. you know and and wanted to be like i'm gonna you know i want to take the business independent but rather than you know thinking about well how's it going to work for my family and work for our lifestyle and all the rest of it it was like no i want to be the next magic rock I want to be the next cloud water those those guys are the, who you should aspire to be it needs to be massive and and all the rest of it and in the end i just i got so burnt out that i was just like i need to stop doing this and it was like in the period between then and the back end of last year even um 
you know, it, it took a long time for me to think actually, what what am I building? Mm. You know, and and that, you know, and I'd, and I'd started hot forward, um, which had taken on a life of its own, and I, and I got I reached this place where I like I don't need to follow someone else's path. I don't mm. even I don't even need to be running my own brewery. You know, like it's um, I I like lots of film references, and have you ever seen Cool Runnings? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Do, do you know that bit when it's kind of like um, John Candy's character says to Doris, who's one of the athletes, he's like, because um, he he cheated by putting weights in the front of the um, the bobsled. If you, if, okay. if if anyone listens to this has never seen Cool Runnings, like shame on you. Yeah, like, you, you know you haven't lived until you've seen Cool Runnings. But like he says, um, he's got this bit where he says. Um, yeah, Dree says to him, like, why did you do it, coach? And John kind of just says, like, if you're not enough without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with one. And I hit this point where I was just like, you know what? I, 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 whether I do this or I don't do this, it, that's fine. And now, now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've still got my commercial license to do it from home, like I did, which I got many, many years ago. I was just like, well, I'm fitting out my cellar and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it on a small scale and I'm going to be true to, my path and values and I think if you if you can run whatever size your business is whether you're making 100 litres or you know 100,000 hectolitres you know if you can stick to those values and have that kind of integrity um, then I think it'll set you up in good stead. But equally I think you need to have identified what your values are and I don't know if you know if every well, never mind small brewery, but if every small business um, does that. And and I think that's something that's really important thing to kind of actually sit down and think about, mm. um, you know, as well as doing things like working out who your, um, you know, your ideal customer is and that kind of thing, you should also be looking inside and thinking, right, what do we want our business to be? Who do we want to be? What are our values? What do we stand for? What is, you know, what are we, what are we going to make this become? Because if you don't know that, then, then you know, all decisions are going to be difficult because you've got no core values to go back to against which to, to kind of to judge them, I think. Absolutely. Um, if you've ever read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey, he talks in there about um, you, can, you can be climbing the ladder, but what, what wall is your ladder lent against? In, in order to be able to live by those values in your life, you've got to make sure that you've got those nailed down, you know. Yes, um, that they're identified and that you, yeah, and that you talk talk about them and live them every day, I think. And that's something that we do with, you know, with all new starters who, who come and start at Good Chemistry, whether that's um, at the brewery or the pub or even kind of temporary summer brewery tap staff, is to sit down and kind of talk them through who we are as a business or what we are as a business, I don't know, um, you know, where we've come from, what our journey has been to this point and what we stand for and what our core values are. Because as far as Bob and I are concerned, if you don't know what our core values are, then how can you represent them when you're when you're working for us? Mm. So, it's, yeah, it's really important um, to, to have a good understanding of that, I think, and to ensure that everybody is able to kind of to represent those and understand them and live them. And yeah. Yeah, I think the danger is if you if you haven't got those core values as a business, and you you've not communicated them, and, and people aren't you know adhering to them, living by them, however you want to put it, 
people will naturally try and fill that void with their own meaning and their own interpretation of what they think it should be. And then, and I've, and I've, I've either been in businesses that have done this or I've seen businesses that have do this throughout my time. It's just a recipe for chaos and disaster. There was one business once where I'd I'd say, I said to the owner again, again, like, you know, what are, what are you about? And it's just like, well, well, you know, we're about making beer, you know, and good beer. I'm like, yeah, but everyone's about making beer. Exactly. If you, if yeah. you're in a brewery, everyone <laughs> is about using good ingredients. Like what is it that makes you special and unique? And he, he just could not answer the question. Like what is your vision? What are your values? There, there was no answer. Yeah. And I just, you know, years on, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to, to watch them still struggling because they've not nailed those two things what are your values and what's your vision? And I look at a brewery like Cloudwater on the complete other end of the spectrum. And like, you've just got to hand it to, to Paul Jones and, and the team there. Like they're, they're, they just, it's so evident when you talk to them, what their values are and how you see if you, when you talk to members of the team, how you see that played out and the kind of environment they fostered. I, I, I think it's really laudable really. But I think there's, there's too many, small breweries as we're talking about breweries but probably small businesses who haven't kind of had that that haven't gone through that thought process mm. and who haven't set that out and then who aren't able to then um communicate it to the rest of the team um but yeah for us yeah. it's important and i think just kind of going back to the point you said about the grass is always greener as well i think you know difficult decisions like making decisions based on other people's social media. I mean, don't forget that the grass probably wasn't actually that green, but they've just made it look that green in the photo that they posted on Instagram. So you can't base your decision-making process on that picture because the grass was not that color and it isn't realistic and it isn't necessarily what's going on in the business behind the scenes. So, you know, you have to, yeah, don't make your decisions based on social media as hard as it is. You know, we all, we all look at it and think, oh, bloody hell, they're doing well, aren't they? But yeah, I think it goes back to, you know, if you have your, your core values, then you don't need to worry about what other people are doing yeah absolutely so how how do you keep envisioned as a business then especially when you've had to adapt to your business model so fundamentally uh, due to COVID-19 how do you guys keep the sword sharp so to speak um I think um it kind of comes back to the key question which um we are always asking ourselves like actually literally asking each other when you know when you're doing big stuff but when you're doing something little as well um what are we trying to achieve and if you know that um then you you know you know where you're going and you know how to kind of measure if you're you know if you're getting there or not um so yeah that's kind of the key question i think but you know in particularly at the moment it's about staying positive and um, keeping talking, um, not just to each other, but to you know communicating with our with our teams as well at the brewery and at the pub, and and our customers as well through you know mostly through social media, but through blog posts as well. So we've written um, a number of of kind of update blog posts on our website through the um, the the kind of lockdown and and. Mm. As, you know, as the pandemic has progressed from, I think the first one we wrote on 
kind of um, Sunday evening of around the 23rd of March or whatever the date was. And we said, right, this is what we're doing. This is how the can shop's going to work this week. This is what the pub's going to be doing. These are home deliveries. And by Monday morning, the whole thing had changed and we had to kind of publish a whole different blog post saying, actually, we're going to close down. Um, we're not going to be um, open for these hours, as we said. The pub is shutting, the brewery is shutting, the last deliveries are on Wednesday. Sorry about yesterday's blog post. Forget about that. Hmm. This is what's happening now. And we've done that kind of the whole way through, you know, as we've as we um, realized we'd actually didn't have any more, you know, or any new or enough can stock to reopen the can shop as we launched bag and box and mini kegs as we've um, reopened the pub um, for for takeaway and as we've kind of started to bring things back and then most recently about um, the small brewers duty relief. Um, so yeah, so I think that kind of communication is really important. Um, yeah between you know your you, your your team but also your wider audience as well mm. and i think like just keeping keeping going um you have to be open to change and that's that's very hard because you know i don't think generally as as human beings we like change very much do we um and and especially with this continuing level of uncertainty you know i think if if we'd all been told in March, right, pubs are shutting now, but they're going to reopen on this date and everything will be fine then, then you, you know, you could deal with it much more easily. But the continuing level of uncertainty is, makes it very hard. So you just have to, <laughs> you just have to roll with it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You just have to keep on keeping on because, you know, what else can you do? We have people's, you know, people's livelihoods at stake. And so we're not just going to kind of lie down and take it we want to to fight for our businesses mm. and for our teams and, yeah. so in in light of that last question then <laughs> looking into crystal ball in all that uncertainty <laughs> what what's next for good chemistry um well as we've talked about hopefully cans um hopefully we'll get you know we'll get those out um across bristol and then out across the the country again um and and then it's just sort of getting back into the swing of things with our team um, at the brewery and, and also at the pub and work you know working out what the new normal is I think um, there's there's yeah it's just about keeping going really um, I'm keeping keeping working out day to day and week to week and month to month where we where we are and where we're going um, so yeah but cans is the big thing that's the thing I want your listeners to take away from this is that good chemistry have got cans and hopefully <laughs> They're coming soon. <laughs> yeah, Bermuda. Na, 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 na. Come on, Kokomo. Um, <laughs> um, cool. So I'm I'm certainly looking forward to tasting Kokomo weekend. Um, so h- how can people get hold of those beers when they're available? Hopefully by the time they hear this, they will be. Hopefully, yeah. Um, so uh, we have, we have an online shop. Um, so we um, we'll be selling beers through our online shop. Um, but also, you know, we, we are hoping to start working more and more with all of the, you know, amazing independent bottle shops, um, not bottle shops, I suppose, can shops now um, across the country. So we, we don't just want to sell from our website, but we are, you know, contacting all of the great local um independent beer shops as well so we hope to be sending them cans as well so you can get them through your favorite local stockist um and yeah i mean just keep an eye on our website is the best thing our website and our social media and um we'll be updating things as they go 
Amazing, brilliant. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Right,